Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This week, while scrolling through Facebook, which is where you get a lot of sermon prep done, I saw from several pastors, well, oftentimes the theology I see on Facebook is terrible, but they are sharing something that's gone around for the past few years, really, and it had from Matthew 7, which is our parallel text for today, had the words, judge not, and then everything else below it was scribbled out, right? It's just marked out with a black mark, everything was scribbled out. And then at the top it said, this is the only verse people today seem to know from the Bible. And it falls right in the middle of a rather important discussion that Jesus is having. And one of the things we want to look at this morning is what that actually means in context, but also it's part of a larger whole. There are five commands in our text this morning. All of them are important. There's one command that governs the rest, and then four that show you what it looks like to actually be merciful. So what we want to do this morning is look at these five commands, what they say to us, what they mean for us, and how we can indeed do them and live them out as Christ has commanded, not as the world wants to interpret them. First thing that we read in our text today is, Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Now in the past, in fact, I believe last year, we looked at St. Augustine's beautiful saying that mercy has two wings, give and forgive. We looked at what that means for us. And oftentimes you'll see in the Church Fathers and Luther on this passage, different lists of what it looks like to be merciful. The list for physical mercy, the list for spiritual mercy. And those are all fine and well and good. But in the immediate context, Jesus already is already summarizing what he just said about being merciful. He's going to go into a longer discussion on what it looks like to be merciful. So let's hear the verses right before Jesus says this. He says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who spitefully use you. In fact, I even believe that what we have after, therefore be merciful, is a restating of some of these very things. To him who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. From him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. Just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. Right? So he gives what we often call the golden rule. And then he says, if you love people that already love you, so what? Even your unbelieving neighbors do that. If you're merciful to those who love you, who are family and friends, Jesus says, oh well, everyone else around you does that. That's not really that big of a deal. It's not that radical. It's not that different. But Jesus says, But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful. So Jesus tells us to love, do good, bless, pray, offer the other cheek, do not withhold your tunic, 
give to everyone? Do not ask back for the things you've given? Do to them likewise. Then he sums it up by saying, love your enemies. Do good. Lend. For your heavenly Father, to those unthankful, to those evil and wicked men who use the very air God gives them to despise God, to reject God, who use the very gifts of creation to abuse their neighbor, to harm their neighbor, to do evil with the things God has blessed us with, God is even merciful towards them. Being merciful is the hinge of this passage. He summarized it, now he gives, therefore be merciful, and then he goes into a longer explanation of this. What does mercy look like? Jesus is defining that for us. But by saying, therefore be merciful as your Father also is merciful, he's revealing to us that mercy itself is ultimately found in the very character of who God is. What God is like. One of my pastor friends, when I was at the Cagsman retreat, asked me a question thinking I would know the answer, and I said, I've never heard that before, I'm sorry. So he sent me the article where this theologian was trying to say that mercy is not one of God's attributes. That God's mercy is only revealed because of sin. It's a pretty horrible view of God. Mercy is at the very foundation of what God is like. In fact, Exodus 34 This is Moses having the Lord pass before him, revealing himself to him. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Mercy is the very character of God. Mercy reveals what Jesus Christ is like. Mercy is God's compassion, his loving kindness towards you. As I told you last week, as Luther defines it, it's God's goodness in action. Where more do you see God's goodness in action than the cross, than the very life and ministry of Jesus and his suffering and dying and rising? Where else do you see that mercy displayed more clearly than all that Christ has done for you in his life and in his death. In fact, we see this throughout the entire Old Testament. Sometimes people try to pit the God of the Old Testament against the God of the New Testament. Atheists like to play this game. And they look at the Old Testament and say, oh, look, the God of the Old Testament is so mean and cruel. Look at what he did to those people. Have you actually read the Old Testament? If you or I were God we would have wiped them out long ago. We would not have put up with that. He rescues them, and five seconds later, they're complaining, and they're whining, and they're disobedient and ungrateful and idolatrous. And then he rescues them again, and guess what? Five minutes later, the same thing. The long-suffering, patience, compassion, and mercy of God is on display in every chapter of the Old Testament. The fact that Israel existed to bring about the Messiah is a testament to God's goodness and mercy and compassion. They would not have made it. They would have been wiped off the map, and yet they were not. Why? Because God is merciful. Because God is loving and kind. 
And of course, that culminates on the cross. For the Christian, then, to be merciful as our Father also is merciful means that we are going to have cruciform lives, that is, lives of suffering on behalf of others. It's one of the amazing things, too, about the Old Testament is you see God, if you will, suffering on behalf of his people. When you get to Jesus suffering for his people, it shouldn't be a shock if you've read the Old Testament carefully. It's on every page. God bearing the sins of his people. Only those who have been changed, only those who have received the mercy of God can therefore be merciful. If you don't have a merciful father, that is, if God is not your father, how can you ever intend to actually be merciful? Jesus is saying you cannot and will not. Not the kind of mercy at least he's talking about here. So what does that mercy look like? Judge not, you shall not be judged. We as Christians are to be gentle and merciful and loving in our thoughts and words and deeds towards others. As we hear about love, love endures all things. It bears all things. Love puts the best construction on everything. Love steps in and sees the good and beautiful where others do not. We look at situations, we look at people, and we know what God can do. We don't look at them and say they're hopeless. They're helpless. What can be done about that? We know that God can step in and change them. That God, through his mercy, can make the unlovable lovable. That he can make the unlovely lovely. This kind of mercy contained in the words judge not is summed up in the Eighth Commandment. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so we do not tell lies about our neighbor. Betray him. Slander him or hurt his reputation. But defend him. Speak well of him. Put the best construction on their actions. Explain everything in the kindest way. We often break this commandment by not showing mercy to others. We are quick to put the worst construction on their thoughts, on their actions, on their attitudes. We are very quick to look at them and make a quick judgment, not out of mercy, but out of arrogance, out of our sinful flesh. We will quickly betray them, tell lies about them, slander them, and hurt their reputation without batting an eye. Especially if we feel like we've been wronged. They've done something to us or to our families. And the gloves are off. Mercy, we think, then, is indeed for the weak. We need to judge. We need to judge swiftly. Jesus, those, while these parables... He give here some of everything if they fit really well under judge not. Jesus says, have you ever watched a blind man lead a blind man? Aren't they both going to fall into a ditch? Now Jesus with these parables here is giving us a pretty comical picture. You've got two people stumbling along and they fall in a ditch. It's meant to be ironic, to be funny. Of course, it's not going to work out very well. 
But then he goes to one that's even more ridiculous. He says, which of you, when you see a speck, a little piece of sawdust in your brother's eye, some small sin, some small thing they've done against you, some small thing they've done against others, how many of you go to them and rebuke them and berate them while you have this huge beam sticking out of your own eye that you've not dealt with? Jesus says, if you do that, you're a hypocrite. It's not merciful, it's not loving, it's not compassionate. He says, first remove the plank from your own eye, and you'll see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. This is a key to all relationships. That we act out of mercy and humility. So ask yourself, do I judge my spouse with a stricter judgment than I judge myself? Do I judge my boss, my employees, my coworkers with a stricter judgment than, with, than which I judge myself? Parents, do you judge your children? Children, your parents. Are they stricter judgment than, with, than that which you judge yourselves? That is what Jesus is asking. Are you quick to judge them but pretty easy on yourself. Of course, this does not mean that we're never supposed to judge. Does it mean we're not supposed to discern between good and evil, right and wrong? Whenever you do that, by the way, you are making a judgment. You are judging. Jesus doesn't say never do that. He says, when you judge, you need to judge in humility and love. Deal with that beam in your own eye, confess your sins, and then go and talk to the brother who has a speck of sawdust in their eye. Not because you're playing a gotcha game, not because you're better than them, because out of love and mercy and compassion, you want them to repent of their sins so it doesn't become a beam in their eye. You do it out of love, not out of arrogance. You do it out of humility. As a Christian, you must judge things. You must judge good and evil, right and wrong. You must judge whether something's in accordance with God's word or not. And when you're abused, Jesus isn't saying, well, don't ignore it. Someone's heaping scorn and shame upon you. Maybe verbally abusing you, physically abusing you, whatever it may be. Jesus doesn't say ignore it. But Jesus says to respond in such a way that you're seeking to bring the kingdom, that you're seeking to bring redemption to that person. You're not refusing to resist evil. You're refusing to resist evil with evil means. You are seeking the way of the cross. To show love and mercy and compassion. Now think about this for a moment. I think sometimes we think, well, if I show love and mercy and compassion, the person's going to respond really well to that. Is that how it worked out for Jesus? I mean, even if you speak the truth in love, if you call someone to repentance out of love and humility, doesn't mean it's going to go the way you want it to go. 
You may be flat out rejected. The suffering may become worse. But Jesus says this is the way we do it as Christians. Judge not, you shall not be judged. Then he says, condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Think about it this way. Who are the condemned? The condemned are those who are still under their sins, who are going to suffer hell itself for their sins. That's what the Bible means when it says to be condemned. So this is a serious thing when Jesus says, condemn not, and you will not be condemned. We're talking about final judgment stuff here. And so what Jesus says is, rather than condemning, seek to save those who are erring, who are wandering, who have that condemnation hovering over them. Use correction and rebuke, yes. Absolutely. But out of love, seeking to rescue and snatch them as one saved from the fire. Not out of arrogance, Not because you're belittling them. Not because you think less of them. Not because you think, man, I never would have done that. I can't believe they got themselves into that mess. I can't believe they committed that sin. You're to put yourselves in their shoes, in their place, to feel their misery. And then to get under that misery and try to lift it off of them. Is that not what Christ has already done for you? Has he not stepped into your shoes, indeed into your very flesh? Has he not done that all the way to the cross? He even bore your very condemnation, your very damnation upon the cross, so that you wouldn't have to. He willingly suffered that. He took your place. Jesus is calling us to be like him and his father. To be merciful. What if, what if out of mercy, we lamented the wretchedness of the ungodly? What if it brought us to tears their fates? What if out of mercy... Rather than like the apostles who wanted to call fire down on people, have them wiped out on the spot, and Jesus said, it's not time for that yet. What if rather we lamented and prayed and sought to rescue them? Jesus is telling us we are not the final judge. And the final judgment is not yet. Of course. Of course there will be a day when the ungodly will be condemned. If they die apart from Christ, having rejected him, that day will be the day of their death. If Jesus returns and they haven't repented, it'll be that day. But Jesus is telling us, we are not the final judge. We can warn people that they're on their way to hell. We can warn people of the final judgment. Yes, absolutely, we must out of love do that. But we are not to condemn them to hell until the proper time when Jesus himself will do it. And until that happens, there's always the hope that they can indeed repent. And mercy seeks to find that opportunity to proclaim to them God's law and gospel so that indeed they might repent before the day of judgment.
Instead, Jesus says, forgive and you will be forgiven. Right? So mercy is not judging. It's not condemning. Mercy instead is forgiving. Mercy seeks to forgive with a willing heart. Rejecting, harboring vengeance and hatred against our neighbor, which Jesus tells us will bring God's wrath upon ourselves. Instead, Jesus wants to take the sins committed against us, committed against others, and bring them to Christ, to carry them to God in prayer. In mercy, we pray for grace and blessing on them. We love them, we do good to those who hate us, we bless those who curse us, we pray for those who spitefully use us. We have a beautiful example of this with Joseph. I mean, Joseph's brothers tried to have him murdered, changed their mind, and then sold him into slavery. There are very few things probably that are much worse, though there are probably some, that you could do to your siblings. Attempt to murder them and then sell them into slavery. And so when their dad dies, the brothers are like, "Uh uh-oh, maybe Joseph was just nice to us because dad was alive. Maybe we should tell him that dad said he has to forgive us. Because we tell him that dad said you must forgive us, then he'll do it. But it's striking because Joseph didn't need that. Joseph, in fact, said, do not be afraid. For am I in the place of God? Am I the final judge? Am I the one who's going to bring about your final judgment? No, I'm not. But as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. Remember, those with eyes of mercy can see the beautiful where God does not. Here, Joseph sees it even in the fact that he was sold as a slave even after he rose to prominence, that he was put in prison and then had to rise back out of that to be second in charge of all of Egypt. He says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. To bring about, as it is this day, to save many people. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And it says he comforted them. He spoke kindly to them. That is genuine forgiveness. He did not demand his pound of flesh. He did not demand retribution for the sins done against him. He put it in God's hands and instead he blessed those who persecuted him. He prayed for them. He did good to them. So too, consider our Lord upon the cross. He is hanging there, bearing the guilt and shame and sins of the entire world. He is bearing the wrath of the Father for us and our salvation. And yet he says about those who nailed him to the cross, forgive them, they know not what they do. Stephen, when he's being stoned to death, will say the same thing. Forgive them. How is it that Joseph or Christ or Stephen are able to look at those who have abused them so greatly and say those words. It's because they've received, in the case of Joseph and Stephen, the very mercy of Christ. In the case of Christ, he's very mercy incarnate. 
And so even in those circumstances, they're able to be merciful. Jesus then says, give, and it will be given to you. Okay, just cover this up above about giving to everyone who asks of you. That if someone wrong, wrongfully like says, give me, give me your coats, you give them their coats. And if they say, hey, give me your shirt too, you give them their shirts. And they says, you even give to them and you don't expect anything in return. You give joyfully with an open hand. You give generously. As Jesus says elsewhere, you don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You're not even trying to keep track of it. Just your hearts of mercy and love is pouring forth in generosity. And yes, Jesus says, even to the unthankful and evil. Right? We all get it, and we all like it if we give, and people are appreciative. That feels good. Right? They thank us, they write us a thank you card, they pat us on the back. We enjoy that. What when you give to the unthankful and evil who don't care? You've done some amazing gift, given them some amazing gift and some kind of amazing work of charity for them, and they don't even say thank you. They don't even acknowledge you did anything. That bothers us. Rubs us the wrong way. And yet, God is even kind to them. And so too are we. We give freely out of love. We give freely and we do not withhold, Jesus says. We hope for nothing in return. Jesus says that doing such things shows that we are sons of the Most High. That we are indeed children of God. Which brings us back to the key text here. Be merciful just as your Father is also merciful. We must end where we began. We must come back full circle. As we strive to live lives of mercy... We can only do so if we're dependent upon the utter mercy of God. If we're utterly dependent upon God and His mercy, then we can be merciful. Because the fact is, none of us perfectly judge not, condemn not, forgive, and give. We are not perfectly merciful. As Christians, we strive for it. We seek to do these things. But at the end of the day, we must live and breathe and have our being in God's mercy. And the forgiveness of sins we have in Christ Jesus. It's only then that mercy can flow from us to others. It's only receiving the mercy of Christ in word and sacrament. And receiving the very mercy put into your mouths in the Lord's Supper. That you're able to be merciful. That you can be forgiven. For having failed to be merciful so many times. We are utterly dependent upon our merciful Father. Each and every day. Moment by moment, second by second, hour by hour, day by day, we must have his mercy or else we perish. And so while Jesus directs us to be merciful, to judge not, to condemn not, to forgive and to give, he knows you're incapable of doing this on your own. And so through his word, through his holy gospel, he gives you his spirits. And as you fail, 
The Spirit prompts you to confess those sins. To confess them so you might receive what? Mercy. So you might receive forgiveness. So you might receive life and salvation. All that we do, all that we are, must be grounded in the fact that God is merciful. That he is merciful to us who are sinners. That he is the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That is the promise on which our lives are built. That we have a God who is indeed merciful to us. And because we've been shown mercy, because we are the ones who have mercy poured out upon us, then and only then can we turn and be merciful. And even as we turn and be merciful, we must be completely dependent upon the mercy of God. Otherwise, we have no hope. Jesus' words here are hard. They're difficult. And apart from his mercy, we have nothing. So let us confess our failures in this regard, but let us even more delight that God is merciful to us. Amen. The peace of God passes on understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.